commitment, dedication, success. Copland, Keebler, and Wallace, the most trusted name in executive search and consulting, welcomes you to the KKNW podcast, where we delve deep into the not so simple art of hospitality. And now here's your host, award-winning journalist, compelling storyteller, and video strategist, Corey Saban. And welcome back to another edition of the Copland, Keebler, and Wallace Leadership Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We have Paul Levy. Paul is an extraordinary career as a golf professional, general manager, president of club operations, and CEO. Now, coupled with his decades-long support and leadership within the PGA of America, his presidency of the organization, and being inducted to the PGA of America Hall of Fame, Paul, we can say, knows a lot about golf. And today we're going to learn about golf operational and strategic knowledge to, and knowledge and some tools to enhance your operation. And Paul's going to share those with us, some tips, some guidance, and some things to make your overall club much, much better. Paul, thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, great to be here. Listen, Paul, you've got a storied background. If you could share with us a little bit about the industry and your experiences and now transitioning into executive search and placement. Well, Corey, I'd love to give a little background. You know, I, I'm one of those people who, when I hit my first golf ball, I knew that's what I wanted to do something with the rest of my life. And of course, you wanted to play, you wanted to play the tour and, you know, you, you get to a point, I, I played, you know, in high school and did well and played collegiately. And you get to a point where you know you're not going to make it on tour. And so uh, you say, what do you want to do to be in golf? And I chose to be a PGA professional, and I loved it. I started out as a young assistant, giving lessons, working in the shop. You know, then I got to uh, have my first first assistant job and went into a head professional position that really changed my career. It was at a daily fee golf course. It was owned by a group of, uh, it was kind of a limited partnership with seven general partners, and two of them were PGA golf pros, Dick Harmon of the famous Harmon family and Rick Forrester in Houston. And it really got me into developing, building golf courses, overseeing clubhouse construction, and really changed the uh, direction of my career. And uh, so at, you know, 27, 28 years old, I got into building and being in the general management, but I always tried to keep my hand in the golf side. I was the lead instructor at our clubs. I did a lot of the merchandising. And of course, back in the eighties and nineties was before we saw where clubs have merchandisers and specialization, you know, back uh, 30, 40 years ago, the golf professional did most of that themselves. So then as I moved into that role into executive management and had my own company, I got a contract with a golf course in the West side of Houston with a big insurance company. And really started learning more about the development of clubs and construction of the clubhouses and design of the clubhouses and, and knew that my career shape had changed. And as much as I love golf, I got in the more into development and executive management, which I think is just such a great opportunity for our golf professionals today to be thinking about as their career goes on. Uh, you know, so I, I actually was recruited uh, by the Sunrise Company out of Palm Springs, California, um, our tagline was the builder of America's finest country club communities. We were the preeminent developer in the Coachella Valley, uh, did a couple of projects in Las Vegas, uh, Colorado. And as I came to work for them, they bought the old Androw airport in Houston and we developed Royal Oaks country club in Houston. So 
you know, I've, I've been involved in construction development. Uh, my background is kind of buried in that area, but where my real passion came into as my career progressed was employment and employment of PGA professionals and other people in the golf industry. So as I grew as a golf professional, general manager, executive, and as my PGA career was moving along, uh, I became known as someone who was passionate about furthering the advancement of PGA professionals into management and into executive management in a role which, you know, our firm, KKW, and anyone sees today, we're, like we see in a lot of businesses, we don't have enough people out there. We we're, we're, we're have an employee uh, management shortage, as, as you know, Corey. It's, it's crazy out there. The, the demand is so high, and the pool is, is, is just not large enough right now. So knowing that, and knowing that the pool is not large enough right now, how do you groom people and almost fast-track them to get to where they need to be? You know, that's a great question. And I think the biggest thing that I tell young professionals, and this is good not just for golf professionals, this is good for a young assistant clubhouse manager, food and beverage manager, uh, what other, you know, the, the other acumens in the industry. I think that we need to make sure we encourage the people at our clubs to see a career path. You know, my good friend Michael Limes, who you know, I'm sure. Very well. Um, Michael and I, we were, we were on the bus together at uh, at conference one year, CMA in Orlando. I think it was I was a secretary. And, you know, I always loved Michael's passion for education and employment. And, and I asked him, I said, you know, you've been involved with the CMA. You're president. I was a secretary of the PGA. When you're done, I'd really like for you to be a part of my presidency and be one of my chairman. So he was my employment chairman. And he always has a thing, you know, you need more arrows in the quiver pole. And so he was our employment chairman for two years, but he has a great background in education. And we would go into many discussions that we have to get our young professionals. And again, anyone else in the club industry, not just in golf. And we have to take ownership for their advancement. We have to show them a career path. We have to show them as Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind, show them where they can be and go. So you're not focused on the low wages and the long hours that we start out in the club industry with, which I'll talk about in a minute because that's changing itself. But you go through your career. You get the education you need, the personal development. And I think it's critical for executive management leaders, for the golf professional, for the food and beverage director, for the golf course superintendent to take ownership for the education and advancement of their, peop- of their people and of their team. And, uh, and of course, with the balance work-life balance challenges today, it even makes it more demanding. And I think, you know, you're very aware with that, Corey. That's the, the buzz topic everywhere I go. I hear the work-life balance challenge, and we can't get staff. I don't, whether it's outside services, whether it's assistant golf professionals, whether it's line cooks, whether it's uh, parking attendants, you know the shortage that we're seeing all over, all over our country right now. You know, it's interesting you mentioned work-life balance. It's four generations in the workforce, and it's catering to all of them and understanding their needs and their wants. Paul, I want to pick up on that in just a second, but first, the people in teams celebrated as the best will tell you how hard they work to achieve their status. They will tell you that they train every single day. You simply do not achieve excellence without training, and the programs crafted at Copland, Keebler, and Wallace grow passion and confidence. Their interactive workshops involve storytelling, sharing experiences, role-playing, situational awareness, and more. 
They connect your team to the experiences they are delivering by helping them enjoy the processes and products that your club is extending to the membership. Learn more at www.kk&w under section heading for our clients. Now, Paul, we were talking a lot about grooming the young people and pushing them along and helping them along for golf professionals working towards a career in golf operations and executive club management. What advice do you give and how do you offer that tutelage, if you will? You know, Corey, this is an, this is an area where it's more than just a golf professional that has to have ownership. For example, that really falls under the COO or general manager of the club to take ownership for engaging his team or the golf professional so that they understand the club's governance model. One thing that I have experienced in the last 20 or 30 years, a lot of times I speak to golf professionals and I ask them, do you ever attend board meetings? No, just the general manager. Do you understand how your club finances capital expenditures? Do you understand how the governance of your club works, the committee structure? And I think sometimes the professionals they're kind of glad maybe they're not involved with that because that's more they have to do and more interaction and they're trying to get their feet on the ground doing their job. But I encourage a lot of the professionals to embrace being involved, encourage the general manager, chief operating officer of the club to engage you more, let you attend board meetings at times to present some of the golf topics or just to learn more about the overall operations. Uh, be more engaged with the other department heads. You know, sometimes when I see a golf professional that's been let go from a club, one of the biggest reasons is they haven't engaged well with the other team members. So, you know, the board and committee involvement is critical and also learning what the best practices are today for a board and committee. And I think that's a place where our golf professionals and other uh, managers and senior directors at clubs are really needing to grow today because the demands in the private club industry for being able to keep up, you know, we've seen a 25 to 30% uptick in rounds of golf, just that pressure alone that it puts on the facilities. Um, and a lot of these clubs short staff. They just don't have the help. It's, uh, it's, it's been an unbelievably exciting two years to see golf benefit from one of the most unbelievable, you know, how, how do you say it? One of, the, one of the most god-awful world experiences this pandemic the last two years, but who would have thought golf would come out on the other end so much better than it had been for the last 20 years. Now we just need to embrace that. You know, and thinking of golf and how it's come out and now we need to embrace it, you said, how has the game changed as members are younger that are joining the clubs and we're seeing more places like, uh, you know, where you can go and you can hit the balls in the bays and they're tracking the balls, etc. How has the game evolved and how can clubs evolve to keep up with that type of demand of going to a top golf? Well, you know, you look, you look at clubs today in golf and teaching. The, the whole instruction and coaching side, we used to call it teaching. Now we've really changed to where we call it coaching and teaching because that's really what our professionals are doing. You know, not just giving a one-hour golf lesson, but really engaging the students, the members of their club, if they're at a public golf course, the, uh, the people who play there, to really in, engage them to coach them, to, to be actually a partner in developing their golf game. I tell many golf professionals, one of the best things you can do at a private club to, to ensure your longevity is make sure you're a huge part of the solution in membership retention. What does that mean? 
You got to get people to enjoy the game. You got to help them play better. You got to help them understand the nuances. New members, especially the millennials, you know, they aren't, they haven't been exposed to private country club experience. They don't understand the protocols. And we have to be a little bit more, how do I put this? We have to be a little bit more, you know, open, inclusive in our thinking that just because someone's hat's backwards or their cell phone's falling out of their back pocket or their shirt might not be perfectly tucked in, you know, the club industry was known for years being very stickler for those things. And I think you're seeing in society, you know, we've gone to a more casual environment. 20 years ago, clubs went from formal dining rooms where you had to have a coat and tie on Friday and Saturday night to stopping that. Well, in the golf arena, we need to make sure our professionals are embracing instruction. All the technology out there today, you see a lot of these top clubs today building $500,000 million teaching facility you know, a teaching academy or a building on the back of the range that's protected from weather where you can have your track man, your tectonic plates, everything that you need to be a world-class instructor today and use technology to your advantage. You look at clubs up north, they're building uh, simulator bays, simulator lounges, even putting in a bar in in another venue for their members of their club to go enjoy being together not just being able to hit a few golf balls in a simulator. It's that member engagement. It's how they embrace each other. It's being with their friends, going to their club. So I think our professionals today really are having to embrace the technology and it's such a great tool. I mean, I look back when I started teaching in 1983, um, you know, even using a video camera was a task. So we've come a long way in technology. and, And if you read up on our great instructors today, the great coaches of the PGA today, you know, that business has boomed in the last two years. I've got a, a friend, Ed Ibargu, and he's 70 years old. He's the director of golf and the general manager at Duke University. He's the gentleman who taught Michael Jordan to play golf. He said, Paul, I'm 70, and I'm busier than I have ever been in my life. You know, It's a good thing. The teaching you mentioned with the development, it, it goes hand-in-hand hand with entertainment as well to turn new people onto the game. And you're right, not be such a stickler for the hat backwards where you have the cell phone or you, some cases you see people out there uh, wearing flip-flops at some of these courses here in Florida. So well, it, that's a bit you got to balance much. it, Corey. Yeah. And you, ha- you have to balance it because, for example, the dress code at maybe Pine Valley, I can tell you, is not the dress code at Newport Beach Country Club in California. It's different and clubs have to decide what's best for them. And I think one of the challenges the last 20 years, not just in golf, but really in the clubhouse. I know, you know, when I was a young general manager and that being that I came from the golf side, knowing that people are thinking you don't know food and beverage. Well, I grew up in New Orleans and, you know, cooking and eating in New Orleans is a way of life. Yes, you definitely (laughs) know food. (laughs) And so, you know, I, I think when it's all said and done, we have to just, as a general manager, take ownership of that. But for the professionals out there listening, for the other department heads, you really got to take ownership for your career. And the executive manager, the COO, the general manager, they have to take ownership. The board of directors takes ownership. And that's what I'm seeing more today. I think you're seeing more of the constituencies taking ownership for the development of the team. But I do want to encourage the listeners, never forget, you own your career and you own your destiny. Plot it out. Think about it ahead of time. Think about where you want to be. What do you have to do? What education do you need to get there? What experiences do you need to get there? So, Paul, to that point, if you would, 
share a couple of best practices for board and committee leadership then for these young men and women to grow? Well, one of the things that I, I see two different strategies. I see leaders who are constantly bringing their department heads, the, the spa director, the golf professional, superintendent, the food and beverage director into the boardroom. Obviously, they're very integrated with committees. And I think even at the committee level, the food and beverage director, they should be bringing their chef sometime. They should be bringing the assistant dining room manager. What I see sometimes in the club business is, you know, and I, you don't see it as much as you used to, but, you know, some people might not want to let other people on their team go into the board meeting because they see that as maybe a threat. Maybe it's an opportunity for something not to go well. Maybe that person is going to show that they're really on top of it and the general manager gets shown out a little bit. At the end of the day, we as leaders need to embrace our people and train them how to act in the boardroom, how to be involved with the committees so that you don't become the director of golf at your first club and you've never dealt with the committees. You don't become the, the uh, food and beverage director or the executive chef and you've never dealt with committees. So I think we as leaders at clubs have to engage below the department head level and get them integrated in understanding the committee and board process so it's not like this mythical or mysterious happening at the club when they have meetings. So in a sense, make them an all-around person, much like you were with development, with construction, much like you mentioned you were the golf shop in the, the beginning of our conversation as well. You are the pro, but be everything to everybody. So what is some, uh, where are some, what is an education? Can I, can I, can I, can I clarify that for you? Please. I don't want to necessarily be, be everything to everybody, but I want them to have the exposure in the boardroom and with the committees. So that they're getting the experience. So they're understanding the politics. So they're understanding the nuances that you and I both know at private clubs sometimes drive the success of the team and the success of the club. So I don't want them to feel like they have to do everything, but I want to, I want to broaden sometimes maybe the department head and the people right under the department head broaden their experiences in club governance. That would be my number one recommendation. And I like that challenge to help them grow professionally. You know, it's, it's really, well, well one, one, one day they're going to be in that position where they're the general manager, they're the COO, they're the director of golf, they're the food and beverage director. And when they get into that role, they'll be better prepared. Well, that's a perfect segue into our next spot, which is about turning your vision into reality with the leadership coaching from Copland, Keebler and Wallace leadership at a higher level is about creating value and the team at KKNW is dedicated to helping leaders focus their limited time on doing the right things in a manner that is sustainable and with processes that involve inquisitive interactions so leaders can gain insight and authentic awareness about their circumstances. This technique affords leaders the ability, the ability to recognize and choose their path toward which support of coaching and accountability works best for them and measures them so that they are achieving success. Coaching services are fully customizable to personal or organizational needs. Learn more at com under section heading for our clients. Now, Paul, if you could, since we're talking about coaching, you've worked with many successful professionals within the PGA and LPGA. What attributes would you say the emerging star possesses? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think 
the number one leadership that's just by far, I don't care if it's for a director of golf, for any position at a club, and you look at any position in corporate America, leadership's the number one attribute you're looking for. And I think sometimes we have maybe focused more on the, do they have the skill set to do the job, the technical? So if you're a golf professional, you understand playing, teaching, merchandising, running tournaments, how handicaps work, how do you engage with the membership and things like that. But we gotta, we got to broaden that. And I think for, our, for a lot of people out there, you look at our professionals, as they grow in leadership, they grow their team. They grow their people. The other things that I look for and that I see are, are in, for a director of golf specific, they need to be engaging. You know, they, they, not, they need to not be in their office. They need to be out on the first tee, out at Toscana Country Club and all of our clubs with the Sunrise Company for 20 years. I told our professionals that, you know, Toscana in the desert, you're busy in the morning. 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. is the busiest. I said, you should never be in the shop then. You should be out on the lesson tee, the first tee, practice tee, engaging with the members, getting to know them. So I think a lot of our young professionals, a lot of our young chefs and the other department heads at the club have to really embrace education. I think that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to come on with KKW. You know, I met Dick years ago and my career turned into when I became a leader in the PGA, my passion was about education and employment. And so it was natural for me to make that next step into executive search as I saw what KKW does. And I think that aligns very much with my thinking. And that's why I'm so excited to be part of the team. And I would encourage any of our young professionals out there, don't be afraid to go to your general manager or if you're the head pro, go to the golf professional and ask them to help you with these experiences. Ask them to help you. But leadership is by far the number one trait I look for. I think clubs are looking for today. Um, the intangibles of engaging with the member, engaging with the customer. You don't have to be a type A personality, but you've got to sometimes get out of your comfort zone. And that's, some, that's challenging for some people. Not everyone is comfortable getting out of their comfort zone. And to me, those are the number one things that people look for and understand at club. And then those employees, those positions, the, those team members, they need to understand the nuances and the politics at a private club. Because that, I think, is really so much different than working at a public course or resort. It's that day-to-day -day contact with the same memberships. And how do you work within that framework? And how do you not just survive, but thrive through the committee and the board process and you as a department head or general manager. Well, what I like what you're sharing a lot is about making that person a well-rounded individual. And by doing that, as you mentioned, getting out there between the hours of 7 and 11, depending on where you are, that fosters that satisfaction and loyalty, which I would assume plays an integral role or a very vital role in membership retention and recruitment. Well, membership retention to me is the number one place that a private club, the golf professional, can really make their mark. I mean, without dues, the club doesn't survive. Without members, you don't have dues. So we have to engage with the clientele, with the new members, get them excited, but also help them improve their game. Coaching and teaching and playing will always be what separates the PGA professional from the other people that work in the golf department or at the club. 
They are known to be the great coaches, teachers, and players, and the members respect that. But I encourage our professionals. You want to you wanna help yourself? You want to have longevity at your club? You want to increase your compensation? Don't only make sure you're helping with member retention. We even have some, some I'm going to say, forms or a couple of programs in the PGA that can even help you now. It's something new we've done to help people quantify so that you can go to your let's say general manager and show what you did last year, but quantify it numerically and tie it to the financials of the club. That's a, that's a great tidbit, great piece of advice. The Copland, Keebler, and Wallace team members are committed to the success of their clients, the professionals they place in the industry they love. Through their commitment and dedication, they are able to advance the careers of their candidates, improve the well-being of their clients, and have fun every day. Learn more at kknw.com. So, Paul, a bonus question for you. You talked about the importance of having a well-engaged golf professional at the club who was involved in all aspects. If you would, for some of these young men and women out there that are looking to become a golf professional or for those in the position right now that want to improve, what's a book or two books that you would highly recommend they get started with on their path? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the last what's part of that. A, what's a you book that, that you would recommend for them to read? A leadership book, if you will. Well, you know, there's, there's so many so good many. ones out there. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, um, I, I'm being very sincere. I wasn't as great a reader earlier in my career. But now you I can have, listen to them. And I have <laughs> become a better later in my career. Yes. Um, and, I, and I'm being sincere. I don't have the top of my mind are so many. Um, I, I have a, he was one of the gentlemen I ran against for office of the PGA. His name is Brent Krause. He's actually the PGA general manager, director of golf at a club in Alabama. He's probably one of the most educated professionals I know. And I will say this, a mistake I made earlier in my career, my first 15 or 20 years was not being a more ferocious reader. And I would encourage anyone out there to, Really embrace that. I did a lot of education, did every seminar I could, took whatever programs I could, but it's just really in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, you know, I got into, you know, the Ken Blanchard books and a lot of the other leadership books, but probably an area that I admit I didn't do well on first part of my career is being a better reader. Well, Paul, if clubs would like to engage with you or learn more or chat with you, how do they go about that? Well, you can reach me at kknw.com and I'd love to hear from any of the listeners if I can help anyone or if we at KKNW can help any of the team members out there or clubs, please give us a call. Paul, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you and thank you for just a brief glimpse into who you are and the value you provide. Well, thank you, and thank you for doing these our team and for the listeners out there, and uh, I look forward to getting to visit with you again, Corey. Okay, on behalf of Copland, Keebler, and Wallace, and Paul Levy, thank you so much for listening to this latest edition of our Leadership Podcast. I'm Corey Sabin. Have a wonderful day.